0: I'm super excited, uh, in a moment, to introduce our guest speaker, Pete Coe. I know some of us, we got to speak to him. Um, please do hang out with him, speak to him. He's a very friendly, lovely... Um, yeah, why why are we leave him alone? Uh, uh, great guy. I, I really hope you, you get to sit down with him and speak to him. Um, Pete has been really helpful to me in the church planning journey. I think I shared this once before. Um, when I was trying to figure out what kind of denomination a church will join, Uh, I met up with uh, Pete, Uh, he gave time, he took me out to lunch, he shared about FIC and all the good things about it. Um, As I was trying to get recommended by Geneva Push to be, you know, good enough to church plant, um, Pete was a part of the interview panel, and he um, graciously gave us the thumbs up that we might be recommended by Geneva Push to church plant. When I tried to join FIC, he was also a part of, he was leading that interview panel too, very graciously uh, accepted uh, Kingsway and I uh, to be a part of FIC as well. And he's been so helpful answering questions, giving guidance. And so I'm going to invite Pete up. Can we put our hands together as Pete joins us? Now, as we begin, I'm just going to ask uh, Pete a few questions uh, just to get to know him. Now, um, Pete already answered some questions on that video interview. And so I'm going to just build up on that. And so I've got a few questions. Mm -hmm. Number one, uh, Pete, can you remind us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you grew up? Yeah. Um, Believe it or not, I'm not actually Korean. Like Koreans
1: always tell me I look Korean. Is that correct? Yeah. And then my surname is Ko, which apparently is also a Korean surname, but I'm actually not. I'm Taiwanese. Um, uh, so I grew up uh, in Taiwan, moved to Australia when I was uh, nine, uh, grew up in the lower North Shore. Anyone live around like Waverton, or Sydney, Wollstonecraft? No? Anyone? Oh no short. That was me. Um, I am uh, married to Karen. Uh, we have four kids. I uh, see a lot of little kids around. Um, I wish my kids were still that age. Because, you know, when they become teenagers, they kind of go feral. Just saying. I really miss them when they were young. I mean, you know, I'm sure they'll be, like, nice again. But i <laughs> just got to get through these years. No, I love my kids. But um, they are going through teenage years. Um, so Karen and I have been married for 22 years uh, and we lead a church um, along with some others at, uh, uh, in a couple of places. Like We've got a couple of campuses in Kingsgrove, um, which is sort of the south region and then the southwest region in uh, in Bankstown and it's called Southwest Evangelical Church. So your KEC were SWEC. Nice, yeah.
0: We may not have, we didn't copy you. We may have been inspired by you. Um, but you know, when Zoe was born, I immediately worried when she hits that age, where your uh, eldest daughter is, they start the puberty, dating. Has that been stressful for you? I'm just personally, oh, yeah, personally I'm, curious. You know,
1: honestly, um, if you look closely, I'm really grey around, like, <laughs> Yeah, I think my grey hairs have not been from church planting. It's been from having kids going through puberty. And honestly, like, you might be thinking, oh, wow, as kids, like, join gangs and, like, drugs and stuff. No, they're actually... From the outside, pretty normal kids. Um, they haven't done anything really bad, but even, even normal kids are super stressful when they're going through a teenager. I'm sorry, am I just scaring the whole bunch of you parents? Some of you are like, I'm staying single, we're never having kids. Um, it is a delight. There are so many good things about it. A book that, you know, Paul Tripp wrote, calls the teenagers the age of opportunity. It really is the age of opportunity, but it is tough. So, yeah.
0: That's very encouraging to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to those years. Um, you said in the video in- intro that you became a Christian in high school. Yep. Um, between that um, and where you are now, how did you decide to become a full time minister? Yeah.
1: Um, actually, God kind of planted the idea pretty early in my in my in my high school years. So um, I became a Christian. Well, I really understood the gospel around year seven. And then, and then for a number of years, you know, I was really committed at church, really loved youth group, but there was one stage where I just wanted to be like everyone else, you know, so I was a Christian on Sundays and I was um, everything else during the week. Um, and then I was really challenged um, at one stage, probably around year 10, you know, that Jesus had to be Lord of all my life. And then around the same time, probably soon afterwards, uh, one of my really key, influ- like key influences, key youth leader, he's actually now um, the Anglican Bishop of Southwest Sydney, um, uh, he he just kind of mentored me, um, gave me my first opportunities to lead and stuff, and I was only year 11, like what did I know, right? Um, but just spending, t- so he used to come and pick my sister and I up to, to go to church with him, because um, he took us to, to be able to minister to a, a new church elsewhere, and again, I was year 11, but I was, you know, leading, co-leading a Year seven group with him, so that had a profound influence. He lived in Pimble. He'd come and pick us up in Waverton, so we could drive to North Ride. So you think about you think about the detour, but for him, that was ministry time. And so that car time with my sister and I, just getting to, and we would spend summers, you know, hanging out at his house. He's way older than me, by the way. He's like ten years older, but um, he had a profound influence just because his life was headed towards at that time the mission field. And I remember he, he said to him he just said, you know, he never pressured me to think about full time ministry. He just said, you know, there's, one thing, there's only one thing you, you can do. There's only one thing you can't do in heaven that you can do here. So everything here that you think you're going to enjoy and you really love, you're going to be able to enjoy that much more in heaven. The only thing you can't do is evangelize because it'll be too late. And that kind of a really profound influence of like, okay, if I spend my life doing nothing else but to see more people come to know Jesus, that would be a life well spent. Um, And so that was probably when the idea was planted. I finished high school. I went along to um, what now is called the MTS Recruit Conference, but used to be called other things in the past, just helping people think about full-time ministry. And so I guess all through my uni life and post-uni, I was kind of already mentored on that track, ended up doing a ministry apprenticeship, and then went to Bible College after a couple of years of work. So, yeah. Wow,
0: the power of that mentor yeah. in your life. That's incredible. Pretty much that. Yeah. Awesome. Alright, something light. I would love to sit down with you, get to know you, ask you questions. So what are your hobbies or interests or favorite books? Okay, movies? yeah. Um,
1: yeah, so a few years ago, about oh, nearly ten years ago, I, I, I did the middle aged man thing, which is I took up cycling. All right? You've heard of the, the have you guys heard of the term mammal, M A M I L, Middle Age Men in Lycra? So I took up cycling, which is like an utter embarrassment to the rest of my family. And then, um, and then a couple of years ago during COVID, I rekindled my love for role-playing games because it was COVID. There was nothing else to do online. So I played Dungeons and Dragons and I used to when I was like in high school. So I'm really back into playing D&D. I don't wonder if anyone... You know, the, board game? the board game? Or the actual, board game? Not the board game, the role-playing game. Yeah. So anyway, it's very nerdy. And my kids are totally embarrassed about that as well. So like lose-lose, right? And then last year or so, um, again, because of COVID um, and there's a lot of sports you can't do and, you know, bike riding wasn't fun. We can only go five kilometers from home. So I I, I started playing tennis again, which I used to play as a kid. And tennis is not so embarrassing for my kids, which is great, right? Like finally, there's something a dad does. They're not like totally embarrassed about, except tennis is really hard on a middle-aged man's body. So I'd play, like, you know, a couple of hours, and I'd be, like, sore for the next four days. I've got tennis elbow, my back hurts, everything. So finally I found something I really enjoy, but it's actually probably not going to... Yeah, it's not very good for me. So it's, I feel like I, I haven't got any hobbies or interests that, that are kind of be a win-win situation. So that's me. It's pretty sad.
0: You upgraded from the lycra-wearing Dungeons & and Dragon. Drag. No, I still do them as well. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I'm still wearing Lycra <laughs> okay, okay. as well as playing D and D and hurting and myself tennis. playing tennis. All right, all right. Yeah. What? Okay. yeah,
0: that's cool. I, I like Dungeons and Dragons. You know. yeah. Um, <laughs> in the 13 years since you church planted, is that right? 13 yep. years. Um, what has been the greatest joys and the greatest struggles?
1: Um, yeah. Look, I think yeah, with 13 years of, of our church having been planted, um, I, I feel like you you get to start like a church is like a it's like a A baby really so and 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 a church grows and develops through stages like a like a someone who's a baby turns into you know a child turns into an adolescent turns into um and so one of the greatest joys is seeing you know over a longer period of time now it's a bit over a decade seeing the church mature move through stages like i love i love coming here because i'm reminded just talking to a lot of you because you guys are so new, like this is what it was like in the first year or so, right? Um, It reminded me of that. Um, But some of the joys is to see how that all kind of pans out in the next five, ten years, and you'll see that. And then as a pastor and as a church planner, seeing that and having a, you know, really anything good is God. It totally is. Like you just realize how much of it is absolutely not your work. But you know, being, being able to partner with God, that God invites us to partner with him in that, and just being able to, like a parent, really, God takes care of your kids, God helps them, but to be able to have that role over them, it's really quite rewarding to see them grow up. Um, so that's the good side, but simultaneously, that's also the hard side. Um, you know, you've heard me complain about having teenage kids, um, but, you know, in, in, in that long enough timeline, 13 years, you do see the valleys, you do see the difficult seasons, um, I reckon for our church, COVID, we're still suffering from the COVID season. Um, that's been a really hard season for us. And, you know, thats we're still trying to recover out of that. So, you know, that can be pretty difficult. Um, also, a longer period timeline, you'll often have seen conflicts happen. Um, some, of, some actually right up in, into the heart of your ministry team. Probably nothing more heartbreaking than, you know, conflicts within your pastoral team and you know, we had that a few years ago and that was really hurtful. You know, so you get really the heartaches, like you do if you were to you know, parent, seeing all of the ups and all of the downs. So um, simultaneously, great joys
0: and lots of heartache, yeah. Wow. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for all of that and thank you for coming to speak to us. Um, as we begin today, uh, what are you going to share with us?
1: Yeah, um, we're gonna talk about uh, the mission of the church, but there's a little bit of a twist to that because um, I'll actually be arguing that the church doesn't have a mission. Mm.
0: All right, on that note, yeah, I'm going to preach instead. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm just joking. Uh, thank you, Peter. Well, yeah. Peter's going to go get his stuff as he does. Why don't you open up your Bibles? Uh, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, and I'll read that, and then Peter will come up um, to preach. That's First Peter. Uh, chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. And I'm going to read from the NIV. Uh, that's what uh, Pete will be preaching from. But if you have whatever version, um, it'll be similar. Alright, right, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 to 11. Let me read this, and then Pete will come preach God's word for us. Verse 9, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Amen. This is the word of God.
1: Okay, I'm going to show you a picture. I don't know if you remember something like this in your neighborhoods. Oh, this is not working. Can I, is this, do I have to turn it on? on? Ah. Yeah, do, do you remember? I don't know, are you old enough? Yeah. Do you remember this thing called DVDs? Do you remember this thing called VHS? Anyone remember Betamax? No, that's too old. Okay, um, these used to be everywhere, right? This is a picture of the very last, the only remaining Blockbuster video store in the world. At its peak, Blockbuster had 9,000 stores worldwide. Now there's one store. It's in a place you've never heard of, in this place called Bend in Oregon in the U.S., And the only reason why it's still open is because it's a bit of a museum to nostalgia. Um, But they're really good. They're they're good sports, okay? Because one of the funniest things you'll read is their witty tweets. I think they have uh, really upped their Twitter game. So, for example, um, they tweeted this. Please stop sending us photos of abandoned blockbusters. It's like us sending you photos of your dead grandparents. How do you think it makes us feel when you take a selfie with our sign and then leave without coming inside? We may not be what we used to be, but neither is Michael Jordan. Now, why do I mention Blockbuster? According to statistics, according to our popular media, that will be Christianity in a generation or so, at least in the West. We are the Blockbusters that might have used to be around in neighbourhoods, but maybe even in some neighborhoods just empty church buildings and if the popular media is to be believed Christianity will die like a death like blockbuster in a generation or so now that may not be true and i definitely don't think that is true but when you hear statistics like that and statistics are in the west that christianity is declining it's easy to react right like it's like well if that's the case we got to be more missional we got to be more outward looking and We've got to like update our form, our content. We've got to attract young people again, so we're not going to be like the blockbusters. Now, about 10 years ago, when I was planting a church, or actually a little bit before I planted, so a little bit like 15 years ago, um, there was a church movement called the Missional Church Movement. Pretty much every second new book at Kurong was about being a missional church, believe it or not. Right? Because everyone's thinking, we've got to be missional. We've got to be out. But see, here's the thing. When we react because we see that the church is declining, reactions actually make for bad practice. It really does. And reactions almost always make for bad theology. So here's the thing. We want to be a missional church, but we want to find out what the biblical reasons are, don't we? Because we're Bible people. I read that's one of the big values of Kingsway, is that you guys love the scriptures. You love the Bible. So what is the biblical template for mission? So my aim today is to bring together, and hopefully you've got the digital booklets, is that right? And you've got the outlines. Four things under this idea of mission and being a missional church. God, the gospel, us, and the church. So let me pray, and then we'll get into those points. Father God, thank you for this group of people, my brothers and sisters, most of whom I will just meet for the first time this weekend. Thank you for their enthusiasm. Thank you that they, as a new church, have already seen so many people come into this family We want to be, and Kingsway wants to be, a church that is biblically missional. So we pray that you would guide us and guide me as we walk through the Bible and challenge us, both individually and corporately, as to what that means. Amen. Okay, let's start with God's mission, because the starting point has to be God as the one with a mission. He is the one with a plan. He is the one who initiates, who brings about, who completes this plan. Remember 1 Peter chapter 2, if you have it open in front of you. Verse 9, God calls us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10, God makes us his people, his chosen people. Verse 11, God shows us mercy. Now, okay, I know you know that. Seems simple. But we often forget that, don't we? Because here are the implications. It means that it's not centered on what we do. There's a lot of missional literature out there. And as I said 15 years ago, it's like every second book. So much of it is about our activities, our attitudes, our actions, our results, our strategies. Now, they all have their place, but at the end of the day, God is the one who is on mission. We've got to remember that. And so the attitude of trusting and obeying God is far more important than plans and methods, yeah? Again, easy to take for granted. But the second thing to remember... whoops. right, still on that point, is that the world needs rescuing. See, verse 9, God's rescue mission involves what? Calling people out of darkness into his marvelous light. The Bible has a story, a narrative, yeah? You probably know it. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. And that second element, the fall, was a massive universal plunge into darkness, wasn't it? When humanity turned away from God, all people, all nations, even the created order itself was plunged into darkness. Sometimes we forget that. I'll tell you, a friend of mine uh, didn't forget that. In fact, she was really confronted with that when she went on a short-term mission trip to Nepal. She told me that she found in villages, girls as young as nine years old have been trafficked. Right? As prost- sex trafficking girls young, as young as nine years old. She met girls who were so abused that they were only shells of human beings. And the really distressing thing was she, she found out through this organization that she was uh, doing mission with that parents actually sold their own daughters knowing full well that they would be trafficked. Like you hear about that, right? And you realize this is huge. This is moral, social, spiritual Darkness. But you might be thinking, that's not us. That's Nepal's third world country. Well, here's the thing. I found out that 6,000 of these sex slaves from Nepal and elsewhere, 6,000 go to Hong Kong every year. Now, how many of you have been to Hong Kong? Passed through Hong Kong on the way to other parts of Asia? I mean, Hong Kong is not a backward, you know, third world country. And there are people who are trafficked in our own city you go to suburbs around the suburbs I live in every second massage shop is not exactly legit okay now who makes this kind of abuse possible it's not people with like big dark hats and evil signs no no it's men and women just like you and me Right? There's no market if there's no need, all right. Sex trafficking is alive and well even in our country. So you need to know that the world through sin is in darkness. It's in so much darkness and therefore it is in desperate need of rescuing. Now sometimes we can talk about the need for salvation and rescue. Um, mainly as, you know, we're broken people, we need to be fixed up and rescuing from the darkness within ourselves. Now, that's true because darkness does have its own dehumanizing punishment. But ultimately, when the Bible speaks about darkness, it's also speaking about the fact that our world is going to face the judgment of God who is light, okay? Right? People need to be saved from themselves, but people need to be saved from God because God is just, And darkness has its punishment on the last day. Do you see what I mean? It's not just that I am broken and I need to be saved by myself. There is a judge coming who is all light, all holy. We talked about him a moment ago. And that holy God is going to burn with holy light when he returns. And this darkness will be judged. And there is such a thing as eternal conscious torment in hell. And you see what I mean? We need to be rescued, not just from ourselves, not just from the darkness within, but the consequences of this darkness in the hands of a God who is just. So let's think about mission. Mission is therefore not an optional extra, is it? Because there's not just people out there that you love. No, so it's not just people out there in Nepal that need to be rescued. It's people that you love in your own families, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your universities, who are going to hell if they aren't rescued. So... That's God's mission, not what we do, and the world needs rescuing. And it's through the gospel. See, what does the word mission mean? We, we use the word mission often to mean like a goal, a purpose, a plan, like a mission statement, right? Kingsway has a mission statement as well. But you know, the, the Bible, when it uses the word mission, the word is a verb. Because it actually comes from the Latin which means to send, okay? That's what the word mission means. It comes, the English word comes from Latin, means to send. And the idea of sending is all throughout the Bible. Obviously, the Bible's not written in Latin, it's written in Greek, but there are, there are words of sending all throughout the Bible. So what is a missionary? A missionary is someone who is sent. Now, in God's case, God missions. God sends in order to rescue. So who does God send in order to rescue? Well, you know the answer, right? John chapter 1, the Word became flesh and entered into our dark world. That's talking about Jesus. And in fact, in John's Gospel, 14 times, Jesus says, The Father sends me. Or if you like, the Father missions me. How does God achieve his mission? He does it by sending his Son. So let's think about it again in the darkness light imagery of 1 Peter chapter 2. God the Son entered into our world. He took on flesh. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve to die and rose again to rule. He who was the light of the world, he entered a dark world and let the darkness overcome him on the cross in order to overcome the darkness by dying for our sins. That's how it's achieved, by the Son being sent. How God rescues people and calls people out of darkness is by this good news, the gospel that calls for a response of repentance and faith. Now, that's not going to be new to you, but again, I want to just at this point say, have you responded? It may be, I don't know you, all of you. It may be that you're here and you've not made up your mind yet about Jesus. You've not yet given your life over to Him, repented, trusted in Him. And if you haven't yet, this is good news because this is the way that God rescues us. Now we need to apply that in our thinking about being missional, don't we? So you notice that God's great mission, God's rescue plan, as I said, involves a very simple message. It's a message, it's a gospel, it's words, it's it's telling about the crucified Messiah and it's about the crucified Messiah. Now that itself says something, doesn't it? Because God's way of rescuing, of doing mission is really very unlike what we expect. Look at 1 Corinthians 1. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Skip ahead to verse 22. Jews demand miraculous signs. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Now, why is this important? The fact that God chose to rescue, do mission through a crucified Messiah. Well, it's important because it really does put under the spotlight and often critique what we regard as good strategy and what we measure as success, doesn't it? Like if we get our notions of success and strategy from the world when it comes to growing church, when it comes to mission, it often is actually the exact opposite to the the gospel. See, what the gospel is about, it's about wisdom in apparent foolishness. It's about power in apparent weakness. It's about victory in an instrument of torture, the cross. And yet it's so tempting, isn't it? I'm a church planter, I know, and so many churches. We want to measure success by how inspiring the preaching is, how flashy the worship is, how big the numbers are, how successful the members are. Instead, we really need to drive our missional DNA from the cross. You see, as a church, you can be missional without being a mega church. Mission work is being done all over the world and in some places with some very, very small churches with very few converts in very difficult places. As a person, you can be missional without being the confident, clever, articulate, bold kind of guy God loves to use weakness. And you want an evidence of how God loves to use weakness? Guess what's the most powerful thing you can do in mission? Pray. Prayer is the most powerful thing you do in mission. The fact that God chooses prayer, and we'll look at that in my talk tomorrow morning, as the most powerful thing we do as God's people to achieve His purposes, that says something, Right? Right? Okay, so that's God's mission uh, through the gospel, but with us. And as I talk about prayer, it, it's a reminder even then that God invites us to participate. Um, so that's the other aspect of our mission. It's with us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. But there's a role for us, isn't there? That you may declare the praises of him who called you. Out of darkness into his wonderful light. God's mission is to rescue us so that we might be his very own, chosen, royal, holy. But you see, that's not an end in itself. We are chosen as a means to an end. Our goal is to one Peter two declare his praises. Even that idea of being a priesthood, our identity as priests, you know what a priest does? We're chosen as a priesthood so that we might serve God and serve the world. Priests are mediators between God and the world. Even the, what God has made us as priests has a function, doesn't it, in relation to the world. In other words, when God calls us and rescues us, He invites us to be part of His rescue mission. You're going you know, to you need to know this. If you're a Christian, if you're God's people, then you are a missionary. You don't believe me? Remember what the word mission means? To be sent. What Jesus said to His disciples, John chapter 20, verse 21, John 20, 21, As the Father has sent me, He says... So now I send you. John is the big missionary book. 14 times Jesus says, the Father has sent me. And then at the end of it, he says, as the Father has sent me, I send you. Every disciple of Jesus is a missionary, is a sent one. Now at this point, some of you say, how? (laughs) I'm not a missionary. I can't do the things that, I know missionaries, I can't do the things that they're doing. And see here, we've got, like I don't recognize and, and, and admit that we, we do carry around sometimes a lot of guilt, little feelings of inadequacy when it comes to sermons. You hear a sermon about mission and evangelism. Often you leave feeling a little bit like, oh gosh, you know, it's good for you. Like you're a pastor, you're a missionary, but what about me? Now here I want to say there is a helpful distinction that the New Testament actually makes that actually it's really quite helpful for us to think about. Do you know that the New Testament actually distinguishes between evangelizing and and distinguishes between evangelizing and the many activities that we might call promoting the gospel okay there's evangelizing and promoting the gospel. I mean they do overlap, but there is a distinction now what I'm saying is this in the New Testament, if you look up all the times especially evangelism and especially evangelists are used, it's actually a narrower, more technical term of when you share the message of Jesus, when you actually talk about who Jesus is, what he's done, and then you call people to repent and believe that message. That is what the New Testament means by evangelism. Now, I trust that lots of evangelism happens in all sorts of ways by all sorts of people at Kingsway Evangelical Church, not just pastors, not just Pastor Paul, and not just the other pastors and leaders. I trust that lots of that is happening. But you know, that activity of setting forth the gospel, the central gospel, the message about Jesus, calling people to repent and believe, that is not something that every single Christian does, and is not something that every Christian is able to do, and certainly not in every situation. That's just the point I'm making. It is a specific activity of sharing the life of Jesus, what he's done, and calling people to repent. See, that is what evangelism in the New Testament is. is a narrower, more specialized activity. And evangelists in the New Testament is also a narrower, more specialized category of people. Like apostles, like pastors, like teachers. Not every Christian is a pastor. Not every Christian is a teacher, at least with a capital T. Right? And not every Christian is an evangelist. And not every Christian can be an evangelist. Now, at this point, some of you are thinking, oh, that sounds a bit dodgy. Others are thinking, oh, great, this lets me off the hook. I don't have to do anything, right? Because I'm not an evangelist. Now, here's the thing. Remember, there's a distinction between evangelism as a narrow category and what it means to promote the gospel. Because guess what? Every Christian is called to be a promoter of the gospel. The New Testament doesn't use that word, but the concept is there. Every Christian is to promote the gospel with all of their lives, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you do that in the most ordinary circumstances, with your words and your actions, with your attitudes, with how you relate, with how you work, with how you study, with how you live, with how you love, with how you pray, with how you spend your money, how you parent, how you're single. In fact, without people promoting the gospel in many and various ways, evangelism actually will lose its edge. It, it, that's actually what 1 is talking about. When you declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light, some of that will be evangelism, But some of that is just declaring His praises in lots of different ways, promoting the gospel. Do you see what I mean? And if you read the rest of 1 Peter chapter 2, you know what declaring God's praises mean? Very ordinary things. In verses 11 and 12, it's to live such good lives among the pagans, we read. And then if we read on to verse 13, it means submitting to your government. Now, I'm trying to make that distinction, not to let everyone off the hook, you know, but to actually show you that you don't need to leave here feeling guilty because... You may not be an evangelist, at least not with a capital E, not in that narrower sense. Because you may feel like, I don't measure up when it comes to evangelism. Well, even if that's the case with you, make sure that in the ordinary, you are promoting the gospel in every and any way you can. Right? With your words, with your actions, with your attitudes, with the way that you live. Only feel guilty and convicted by the Holy Spirit if you aren't doing that. If you're not promoting the gospel by the way you live, in fact, you're just like everyone else. Or maybe worse. You're only a Christian on Sundays like I used to be when I was in high school. If that's the case, well, yeah, you do need to repent. God needs to change you, right? But I'm trying to get you not to feel guilty because you may not be as gifted, able to evangelize all the time. So if you feel fired up for God's mission through the gospel tonight, I want you to do everything that is in your power, in your circumstances, within your gifts to promote the gospel. And you can talk about with each other all the many ways that happens. If you are doing that, then you are being missional. Because God has sent you into the world as a missionary for Him to promote the gospel. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Alright? And then finally, I was kind of being a little bit like in the interview, is it being a little bit controversial? Um, and I want to get to that now because it's actually a little bit of a paradigm shift I want to introduce you to, and it's probably one that you've never thought about. You see, in the New Testament, it's actually not accurate to talk about the church being missional. It's not actually accurate to talk about the church having a mission. That's why I snuck that in there in the interview. Because in the Bible, in the New Testament, the church is not the means of mission. The church is actually the result of mission. i just let that sit with you for a moment. Okay, the church in the New Testament is not the means of mission. The church is the result of mission. And I'll tell you the reason why. It's because in the New Testament, the church does not equal the people of God in every single way. Like, we use it interchangeably, right? Right. When we say the people of God, we often just say the church shorthand, or we mean the church as a denomination, or we mean the church... Actually, the New Testament uses the word church in a narrower sense. Again, um, the word church uh, comes from the Greek word ecclesia. It literally is a gathering or an assembly. So the church involves the people of God, but it's when the people of God do a particular thing. When the people of God are gathered, that's church. When the, in fact, church is, is more like a verb than a noun. So you, the people of God church as a verb when they gather, because that's what the word church means. It's a gathering. It's an assembly. And when the people of God gather, especially to engage with God and worship Him and serve each other, that's church. Now, ultimately, there is um, an end time, what we call in fancy theological language, an eschatological goal. Okay, because the book of Revelation will look forward to the gathering in Revelation 7, the church gathered before the throne. The church also in Revelation 20 is a beautiful bride descending out of heaven, right? Marrying its Lord Jesus. But the point is the church is the gathered people of God, is the goal of mission. Do you remember when Jesus said, you know, after Peter's confession, he says, on this rock I will build my church. What Peter, uh, Jesus was doing there was actually telling you a goal. What Jesus' goal is, is to build his church, right? His gathering, his assembly, his congregation. Because the gathering of the people of god is actually the goal of mission god does everything for this gathering that's actually why he rescued us this is why jesus came this is why the gospel is preached the goal of mission is the church god has always been on about gathering people from all places so that they might now in eternity be gathered before his throne to worship him You see the point I'm trying to make? Church is the goal, not the means to the goal. And so if you'd like to be technical, the mission of the church, guess what? Is actually to be the church. That's actually the mission of the church, right? When you gather as the people of God, that is the whole reason why God missioned in the first place. The goal of God gathering his people out of Egypt, out of slavery, and you read those um, chapters in Exodus 20, was so that they would be gathered before him at Sinai and be his people and worship him. In fact, the word used of that gathering, at least the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is the word Ecclesia, church. That was the first church. You might think the first church happened after Jesus rose from the dead. No, actually the first church happened at the foot of Mount Sinai when God rescued his people Gathered them before him so that they might worship him. God's goal has always been to gather his church. All right, now it seems to, it may be like, okay, we're just talking semantics now, definitions. Like, in one sense, I want to say it doesn't really matter. Like, we use church to mean Christians in general, we use church to mean denominations, organizations. So we talk about the mission of FIEC or the mission of Kingsway, and we, you know, we use church interchangeably. By all means, continue to do that. But I think this distinction can help be helpful because I'll give you three reasons. And it actually does affect the mission of God's people. It reminds us of some really important things when we think about what mission means in our context. Um, The first thing is this, that mission therefore always has to have a community goal. Sometimes evangelism can be so individualistic, right? We communicate that it's okay, you become a Christian and just be an island. It's all about personal faith, personal forgiveness, between you and God. But you see, the Bible's view is that should be an anomaly. Like, there are Christians who can't make it into gatherings in churches, but that should be an anomaly. The Bible's view is that God saves you to be part of a gathering. There's actually a community goal to His salvation. Yeah, you can be saved and not join a church, but that's like getting married and not live in the same house. It's just weird, <laughs> okay? But it also gives you a hint at a really great way, by the way, of promoting the gospel, Right, if church sorry, if mission has a community goal, then you know what, you can promote the gospel really well, not particularly as an individual. Like do that. But it's even more effective when you can expose the unbelieving world to the attractiveness of Christian community. And I trust you guys are doing that. Kingsway. That's why using hospitality can be so missionally effective. That's why inviting people even into your growth groups can be really missionally effective. Even if they don't know what's going on, never study the Bible. But when they see your relationship, they see the gathering. That's why when people walk into your Sunday worship, it can be so missionally effective. Even if they can't sing the song, they don't really understand what's going on. There is something about the gathering itself that is strongly able to promote the gospel. Um, So a properly missional church will send out not only the individuals, but whole communities. Like for example, a really simple example, if a group of you say like basketball, you know, don't start a Christian basketball club team. Go as a group and join a non-Christian basketball team with a group of you. Start a missional community. You will be that much more effective if you do it together because mission has a community goal and the more you expose the world to a community the more they get a taste of the end goal for which mission exists. You see what I mean? So that's one. Two, mission has a worship goal. Um, The gathering of God's people to worship is not a means to an end either. That's the whole goal for which God is... You know what we'll be doing in all eternity is worshiping God, and it won't be boring. We'll be worshiping God as His church, as His bride. So don't despise what 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 we're doing here today, tonight. Right, some people are so keen, some Christians are so keen on mission, they just want to get out of the church. Like the real action is all out there. Actually, in some sense, the Bible says the real action is here, right here. And what the action out there is is to bring more people to the action here. Do you, do you see what I mean? I hope you enjoy your corporate worship. and from what I've tasted even just tonight, it's great. I love, I love what you guys are doing. I love the way um, Pastor Paul leads in prayer. I love the way you Korean pray that's great we didn't do that at my church um, I love I love the way that the music team was just a guitar and a singer you know but you guys sang with gusto I love hearing you sing well, I loved worshiping God with you like if you don't find that enjoyable you're not going to enjoy heaven that much okay but I want you to know that, that that there is a worship goal to mission that's actually what the fruit of mission is God's people gathered to worship and so you might be now be thinking well does that mean that as a church, we just exclude unbelievers that we don't... If technically speaking, a church doesn't have the mission, the church is the goal of mission, does that mean we stop? No, no, no. Um, John Piper said this. You guys heard of John Piper? Here's how mission fits in. John Piper says, mission exists because worship doesn't. Heard that quote before? Mission exists because worship doesn't. You see, until we get to the new creation, the church always exists in the midst of the world. And even as we worship, even tonight, you should be longing for more to be worshiping with us. And that's why mission exists. Because even as we worship tonight and we enjoy what we're doing, and we hear the Word of God and we're gathering in the presence of God and we feel the Holy Spirit amongst us and we're praying, you know there's a world out there, don't you? And they don't get that. And they don't know God. And they're not part of His community and they don't get to worship Him, and they've never tasted that. And that's why we go on mission, because worship doesn't exist everywhere. And until worship covers the whole, until the whole earth bows before the King of Kings, mission must exist. You see, there are two ways that mission happens. Um, I should have got a diagram, but um, I studied physics in high school. I nearly failed. It was terrible. But um, when it comes to circular motion, do you remember that topic? centripetal and centrifugal yeah Right. Yeah. centripetal motion okay the movement goes inwards towards the thing in the middle what's that called again i should know that what's what's that dot in the middle of a circle the center bit there's a technical term for that this is terrible i went to City boys i did four unit maths I don't even know what that dot in the middle is. Anyway, that thing, thats centripetal motion it's moving from it. But there's also centrifugal motion, right? When it kind of goes outwards. Um, Corporate worship is the centripetal motion part of mission. See, if you do church right, and I believe you are doing, and I believe this is why you've seen growth, it is tremendously attractive for the outsiders because they get to see what the goal of salvation is. Every time they come in your midst, even if they don't understand what's going on, they get a taste of heaven. And this is why the majority of people who become Christians and are properly established and grow aren't going to be the ones converted at evangelistic rallies or preached to on a street. But they generally are going to be people converted over, a course, over the course of time by coming to church. And you probably have people in your midst like that. They started coming to Kingsway not knowing anything but they just found something so attractive for them in the people, in what you're doing, in the presence of God, that they don't even know how to articulate. And then over time, they've come to understand the gospel, and then they've become Christians. Because when you expose someone to the goal of salvation, that centripetal movement inwards to your corporate worship, that is really attractive. So here's the thing, and I'm sure Pastor Paul and the other pastors want me to say this. Every week is a good week to bring an unbeliever to church, right? Every week you're not just exposing them to a sermon, you're exposing them to a community of worship, a taste of heaven. Okay, so corporate worship is centripetal, movement from the outside in. But corporate worship will also generate centrifugal mission. Because until we get to heaven, we gather, but then we also what? Scatter. The church gathers on Sunday, and then... As the people of God, you're not gathering all the time, 24-7. No, in fact, you gather in order that you also may scatter on Monday. And that's centrifugal mission. Okay? So even though technically the church doesn't have a mission, because the church is the goal of mission, the people of God have a mission. Your mission as the people of God after the gathering is to go out there and scatter centrifugally to build the church. You scatter in order to promote the gospel where you work, where you study, where you live, all the many, many places that you do that so that you might bring more outsiders back into the community, back into the gathering. That is how the dynamics of mission and church work. Do you see what I mean? All right. I'm going to pray and then I think we're going to sing first and then we're going to respond. Is that right? Well, we're going to respond and then sing. We're going to respond to this thing. Okay, great. Um, maybe I'll get the, the the guitarist and the band ready um, as we engage with God. Um, spend some time. Maybe I'll get you to stand. You've been sitting for a long time. Um, feel free to play in the background. Let's stand and let's um, let's let's spend some time praying and responding. And we want to do this in a few different ways. You might want to begin firstly by confessing and repenting of any way that your view of the world is and has become so small that you've forgotten that God is a God of rescue. That God is a God of mission. That God looks at your neighbours, your friends, your loved ones who don't know Him in a vastly different way to how we might see them. When we see people, we often think about how useful they are to us. God thinks about people as lost people needing to be saved. And maybe you've fallen into that trap. You've stopped seeing people in the way that God sees them. So maybe begin by confessing, repenting, praying. Um, that God would enlarge your heart, that God would get you behind His mission the way that He sees the world. And really praying that that would be the attitude because, you know, without that, nothing else matters. So why don't you just spend a moment praying out loud. keep doing that and I want you now to pray specifically for people that you know by name that you want God to missionally reach into their lives so why don't you just name some people to the now? why don't you pray for your church? Pray for Kingsway. Pray that as a church, both gathered and scattered, it would be part of the mission of God to bring people to Himself and be part of His greater church that one day will spend eternity worshiping Him before the throne. Um, But Kingsway has a role to play in this. Though you're a young church, there's so much energy and so much vitality, so much passion to see the lost reach, and you want to keep praying into that. And you also want to pray, pray beyond Kingsway because, you know what, if God doesn't bring revival in our generation, these statistics might be true. Churches will be empty. And even if one church grows, the majority won't. So we want to be praying for Kingsway, but also that God, would He bring revival in our time so that we might see such a big turnaround in our city, in our generation, and people by the Holy Spirit coming to know Him. So pray big prayers, pray for your church, pray for the mission um, in our city. Yes, Heavenly Father, we pray that you might have mercy on your city here in Sydney, here in Australia, here in the West, where even this week we've realized just how how hostile the secular world is, how progressively hard it will be for people to stand up for Jesus. And yet none of this caught you by surprise, because you did already tell us and warn us that if we're to follow you, then we will get persecuted. But Lord, we are in desperate desire for more people in our city that has by and large turned their backs on you, for them to know you, to be worshipping you, to be gathered all around in diverse places, diverse suburbs, to see churches revived, church buildings filled, um, churches overflowing to fill more schools, more halls, more community centres everywhere. We pray that you would bring revival, O Lord, and that we would be a part of that, that Kingsway would be a part of that, that Southwest Evangelical Church, FIEC, that Anglican Churches, Presbyterian, all of gospel churches would be a part of that, that there would be such a movement of your Holy Spirit in our generation, our time, to bring people to you, that every single church needs to stand up, be counted, and be part of that. Um, We long for that, Lord. Please lift our eyes beyond our small little patches to the big horizons because you are a missional God. You sent your son and you missioned him and you commissioned us to be part of that as the people of God. And you give us this beautiful thing called church, this gathering to show us how good the fruit of mission is and we want more people to be part of that. So stir us, Lord. Change us, Lord. Revive us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Why don't we uh, celebrate the gospel together in song as we close?